Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Amen, amen. Any free people in the room? Amen. It is so good to see you all. Welcome to everyone joining us online. We are going to hop into a moment here or a time that's going to lead us to communion. And so for those of you watching at home right now, uh, make sure to go grab some elements, something that can represent the bread, something that can represent the cup. Um, And we're going to do this differently. A lot of times we'll just kind of, I'll set it up and then I'll say during these songs, take a moment to take communion. Um, We're going to do it actually differently today. I'm going to lead us through it all and we're going to take it together, okay? Collectively together, so don't jump the gun (laughs) and take the elements ahead of time. Um, so why do we take, let's start with this. Why? Why do we even do communion? What's the, po- the point? Well, the whole point is to lead us to the cross. That's the whole point. At the Last Supper, Jesus took actually these kind of ancient elements that were a part of the Passover meal, and he speaks new meaning into them. When he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is going to represent my body that was broken for you. As often as you take this bread now, remember my body that was broken his suffering for us that he went through as he was heading to the cross and on the cross. And then later in the meal, he took the cup. It was actually the cup of redemption in all of the, there's four or five different cups during the Passover meal. He took the cup of redemption. He said, this is my blood that will be poured out for you. As often as you take this, uh, you remember, this is the blood, the, the cup of the new covenant. I want you to remember my blood that was poured out for you. So often as you take this, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's what we're doing. As we uh, approach communion, it's for Christ followers. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower today, no big deal. I, I just want to encourage you to just sit back and relax. Maybe, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to teach me right now in this moment? Is there something true about what happened at the cross that might be for me that I should just ponder or think about during this time? But this whole taking of these elements of bread and juice, it, it is for Christ followers because it's for us to declare the cross. That's how the, the Apostle Paul describes it. He says, as often as you do this, you declare the cross. That's what we're doing. And we're anchoring our hearts in what Christ accomplished for us there. So I want to start by setting it up this way. I'll break it into three parts. This first part is just to get our lives right with Christ. The Apostle Paul challenges us before we take communion to examine ourselves. That's what he says when he's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, examine yourselves. What's that? It's to say, God, all right, is there any wicked way in in me? Is there anything that's right now broken my relationship with you, a perfect holy God that, uh, that you would bring to my mind that I need to confess, I need to repent, I need to turn from, I need to agree with what the cross did for me, what you did for me there to make me right, that I could be whole and healed and made pure because of what you did for me at the cross. And so for a moment, for about a minute here, I just want to give you time to examine yourselves. Don't take the elements yet. Wait, we'll do that together, okay? But uh, for about a minute, take some time to just make sure that you and your relationship with God is right. And the worship team will lead us in a little bit of a song. They'll come back and they'll lead us through the rest of the elements, okay? So just take a minute, do some business with the Lord.
So I've been doing something for the past month, which I've never done before, but it's been so insightful um, for me. And that is I've been taking communion every day at home during my devotions. Um, I just took a, a ton of these little, you know, communion packets. I got really good at peeling, you know, the double layer. <laughs> you know how we've struggled with that. Notice how we changed. We, we've made it easier. You'll know which side is bread and which side is juice now. Um, but during my, my time, because the cross, this is the, the mind-blowing thing. Colossians chapter 1, it says, At the cross, Christ reconciled all things to himself. Because all things were reconciled to himself. When we come to the cross, there's actually a lot of different ways that we can apply what was done at the cross in our lives. We can, yes, we can look at it through the lens of redemption, redemption of souls. But we can also look at it through the lens of, okay, he brought healing and restoration over broken relationships. He's our provider in our finances and in our needs. He's our healer physically. He's, he's all these different things that the cross touches into all those different places. And so today, I just want to lead us in two different ways that you can kind of just pray even through the bread and the cup. And so for the bread today, I want to focus on actually healing. Like this is one, one of the elements of what Christ accomplished at the cross is that now the reality is we can see literally sickness eradicated because of what Christ was, did at the cross. We can see physical healing. He, he reconciled all things. And so while I've been taking the bread each day, I actually am praying for healing and different things. Now, this is not a magic pill. I'm not pretending it is. It's not like, oh, by, by this magic pill, this person's healed. It's I'm remembering what Christ accomplished. I'm agreeing with what he did at the cross. In Isaiah, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so here's a simple prayer. I've been praying over just different individuals in my family. And I'm going to put it up here on the screen. That is a simple one that I would encourage you to pray. Um, it says, I thank you, God, for your healing power of the cross. Because he did, he, he accomplished healing at the cross over uh, whoever you want to pray for. By your stripes, that person's healed. Once again, this is not a a bossing God around by any means. This is an agreement with God of what he accomplished at the cross for that person. And so for about a minute, I just want to encourage you, just take a moment to just pray for different individuals that the Lord brings to your mind. You insert their name in that prayer. And then in a minute, we'll take the bread together. So go ahead and just pray for different people uh, right now. peel off the side that has the bread in it. Let's take the bread together.
Now, as we come to take the cup, I've been reflecting this past month quite a bit about the Passover lamb, who, so if you go back to the Old Testament, <laughs> God commands the people of Israel to sacrifice a lamb and to spread the blood over the doorpost of the house. And that blood that goes over the doorpost of the house protects the entire household. Jesus, he lays down his life for us at the cross and he refers to himself as the lamb that was slain. He becomes the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He is the final and ultimate lamb that was slain for humanity. And what I've often, what I've been doing now is I've been praying in many ways as like even the father, the husband, you know, the, uh, the male of the home. I've been praying and uh, imagining like spreading the blood over my household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And once again, I, if you're a parent, you realize this, you, or if you have any friends, you realize this, you can't make anyone believe in God, right? You can't. So what are we doing? Well, the best I can do is I can pray that their hearts and minds would be drawn to the power of the cross and the love of Jesus that was displayed at the cross. And so here's a simple prayer I've been praying. I would encourage you to pray. I pray the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus would pour over and into this individual's life. Maybe you've got a child who's wandered away from the Lord. Right now, you say, for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I, I declare over this individual that the blood of Christ would, and the love of God would pour into their lives, that their heart and mind would be transformed by the power of the cross. So for a minute, why don't you just pray for your family members that are distant, even your family members who are close. I've been praying this over every one of my kids that loves Jesus. I'm praying, God, may their heart be more and more transformed by the power of the gospel every day. I prayed over my life every day. So let's pray it over all of our family members, our friends. Go ahead and just take, take a minute to pray over them. You insert their name in there, and then we'll take the cup together. now grabbing the cup. Let's peel it off the top. We remember the redeeming work of the cross and his blood that was poured out for us. Let's take it.
know, church, we're gonna just focus our attention on what the cross can do for our county. I love the verse that says, the Lord is willing that none should perish. None. That means everybody in your neighborhood, everybody on your street, everybody in our county. Let's just pray revival. Let's pray that the Lord would pour out on our cities and our towns. There's nothing he can't do, amen? Let's sing together, God of revival.
be so, your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, church, for worshiping with us. You can have a seat. morning again. Welcome, welcome. How's everyone? Good? It's good. Welcome again to everyone online. Hey, let me, let me just uh, hit a few things before we hop into the message today. A couple things you just need to be aware of. Immediately after the service is start here. If you're wondering what's that, it's just a good place to start. If, you've, if you're new to Lakeland, you're wondering what makes this place tick, uh, how do I get involved? Or I have a question that I've wanted to ask since I've been here. Start here is the place where you want to go. Immediately after the service, it'll be happening. It's only about 10 minutes, so it's not going to take you forever. Right out in the cafe if you're in person. If you're online, just stay on the stream, and they have a digital version of Start Here. It'll be happening right on the stream uh, as soon as the service is over. So I just want to invite you to come uh, and join us at Start Here. Um, also, I want to let you know that this is coming up. I'm really excited. We're going back out to the park for two more weeks before the summer is coming to the end here. So we're going to be at Church in the Park out in Delavan, actually at Phoenix Park. We did this last year. I love it. It's a great, it's just fun to have kind of an all service, everyone at one hour, you know, one hour together. Um, and so we'll do it the last weekend in August and the first weekend in September, Sunday, 10 a.m. But what I'm also really excited about is just like we did at our last uh, Church in the Park, we had baptisms. We're going to have that at the second one. So on September the 5th, we're going to have some baptisms. And so if you missed it, ah, oh man, you missed out on a little bit. But here's a little glimpse of what took place there. Listen, if you've never been baptized as a follower of Christ, meaning it was your own decision and you want to proclaim your faith to the world, that's what baptism is about. And uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And so all you have to do is you can swing by Next Steps if you're here in person, or you can email us at nextsteps@lakeland.church. We'd love to answer any of your questions about baptism. That'll be happening on September 5th. We'll be doing baptisms in the park when we're back out there. Also, I know this is like a little overwhelming for some of you, but can you believe school is right around the corner? <laughs> so here's what this means, though. It's a great opportunity for us to be able to come alongside some families and help provide some needs for them. Last year, we packed 500 backpacks uh, that went to local families right here in the area. This year, we're approaching it a little bit differently. We've contacted a bunch of the local schools, and we've asked them, hey, are there like primary school supplies that families often overlook or you run out of? And they've gotten back a list to us. And so we are basically collecting school supplies, and we're 
we're going to then give them to the schools directly so that they can get them to the kids. And so uh, just a little bit of details. If you text the word school to the number on the screen, you can take a picture of it or you can go to our website. You then can get that list of kind of the top six items that schools are requesting that uh, we would bring to them. So we'll be collecting all this month and then we'll get it to uh, some of the local schools who will then in turn get it out distributed to their classes and their teachers. So um, uh, just a sweet and easy way for us to be able to partner with local families and local schools. We love doing that. And if you're watching online from somewhere else, contact your local school and ask them, hey, how can I partner with you? What supplies could we collect and drop off so that it can go uh, to families in need there? And I'm sure that they would uh, happily provide you with a list of things that you could bring. So, all right, you ready? Let's dive in today. Let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever wondered, at the end of my life, will I have lived my life in such a way that will leave a lasting legacy? And if there's a way that I can set myself up for that, what does that mean? What would it look like for me to do that? Because um, the reality is you can leave a legacy, but the question is, is it one worth leaving? You know, Hitler left a, a legacy. Mussolini left a legacy. Judas left a legacy. They're just not worth legacies worth leaving. Uh, we want to leave a legacy that we would say this is a fruitful legacy. I use the word fruitful because that's where, where we're really going to be landing today in a story that Jesus tells where he ends up talking about a fruitful life. And um, sometimes when I think about fruit, I think about what happened this last week at my house. We had a watermelon that we had sitting out on the counter. It looked amazing. We had it all cut on out in slices. It was so funny. I was watching. I was sitting there at the table. I'm watching the same kind of encounter happen time after time. And basically, this is what would happen. Someone would walk up, and it looked really good. So they would pick it up. It felt really good. Then they would take a bite, and they would immediately turn around and spit it into the garbage. <laughs> See, because it looked really good. It felt really good, but it didn't taste good. It was like that wrong texture. You're like, I just don't want this, you know? And so I just told my wife, I was like, just throw the whole thing away because it's not worth digesting. And unfortunately, I think the same thing is true in many of our lives is that the world is chasing after things that look good. They feel good, but when it's truly digested in your life, you live it out, it's not producing something that's good. It's not producing anything that you'd say, this is fruitful, it's, that it's good for me. And so are there some things in our life, some spiritual traits that would actually set us up for a fruitful life? And that's what I want to try to answer that question today with actually a story that Jesus told. This series that we've been doing is called Lake Life because we're looking at moments with Jesus around the lake. And I love that Jesus loved lakes. Can I just say that? Because I love lakes as well. And so we're in Mark chapter 4. If you want to follow in your Bibles, that's where we'll be. Mark chapter 4. We're going to cover about 20 verses here. Um, but here's how it begins. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. He loves hanging out by the lake. Him and me. Jesus is my homeboy. I just have a feeling we would have been out on the lake, on the lake together. Uh, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Now question, why is Jesus teaching by the lake? Why does he often end up in a boat teaching crowds? I heard someone say, sound. 
Have you ever hung out on a lake and it's like you can hear the people's conversation on the other side and you're, and you're like, someone should probably tell them, we can hear you, you know? <laughs> and in fact, about a month ago, I was on the lake with my family and we had like kayaks and paddle boards and we were drifting apart and I just kept my voice at the regular kind of volume and I was seeing how far we could have a conversation. And we're drifting 100 feet from each other and we're still talking like this, like it's nothing. See, this is before the PA system. This is Jesus' natural PA system, is hop on a boat and teach a large crowd. That's how you do it. And so it's in this setting down by the lake teaching, using the natural PA system, that Jesus tells some of the most iconic parables. And this is one of the parables that he tells. And so let's read it. He taught them many things by parables and in his teachings he said this, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he, scattered, or as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, to the early listener, the crowd that's hearing this parable, even if they didn't understand exactly what it meant, they all knew what the best outcome was was out of those kind of four scenarios. Everyone knows as they're listening, they're like, hey, the crop that produces 30, 60, 100 times, most of them have at least home gardens. And they know, you want that. I want a plant, one plant that produces 30, 60, or 100 times its value. So everyone's listening, even if they don't understand exactly what it means, they go, that's the one I want. So the disciples ask a question of Jesus. They say, hey, help us understand the parable. A few verses later, verse 14, Jesus says, okay, here's what it means. So I'm going to read this all the way through as he gives an explanation. Then we'll go through and kind of talk through these four categories of people. Okay? Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. He's talking about the word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word so that, uh, that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When troubles or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But then the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. All right, so let's just talk through these groupings so that we can be beware what are the things that can actually help set us up for a fruit-filled life. So let's look at this kind of this first category of people. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, all right, here's this first group. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. Remember when he told the parable, he describes it as a bird uh, sweeping down and like 
just snatching it up right away. And so he snatches it right away uh, as soon as it's sown in them. So that first illustration, it's, it's like it's how Satan just comes and robs the person of it ever even taking root in their life. This is simply the person who rejects the gospel. They reject the things of God. They reject the word of God. They might even just reject truth in general. I don't know if you've ever hung out with someone who as soon as you speak anything that is just truth oriented, they just have a tendency to reject it. It could be like, hey, God loves you. God wants to forgive you. Or you are loved. And just a concept as simple as that, you are loved, they just immediately push back. And they're like, listen, God doesn't love me. God wouldn't forgive me. If you knew what I've done, you would know why, why he wouldn't want to forgive me. Or just even the, the simple truth that you are loved. They might just go, no, I'm not. No one loves me. They just, they just reject it immediately. They just push back on all levels of truth. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that, that's this individual who is just like, a, I don't know, a picture like I'm just throwing something at their heart and it just is bouncing right off. I'm like, ah, I'm trying. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've even had times, a couple times when I've been praying for people like in our prayer room in the back here where I've had, we've had people show up and they're like, they're troubled and, and I, I t- I'll take them to that space and I'll say, hey, let's pray for you. And as soon as I start to pray for them, they actually get up out of the room and they run. I know you're sitting there going, Josh, you should probably stop doing that. <laughs> Maybe there's someone better for the job. Maybe you're right. But I know exactly what it is. It's this person. It's the person that as soon as I declare any level of truth over them, they, I, I know it's more than just that. There's, there is a spiritual dynamic that they're rejecting everything that God wants to do in their life. And they literally physically, it physically manifests and they run out of the room. But it, what it is, is it, it's, they're just, they're, Satan is robbing and stealing and destroying before it can even take root. But they've probably also agreed with a lie in which they just reject anything that has to do with truth. Now, if there's anything that you and I should take a little bit of comfort in, in this parable, is understanding the dynamics of how seed lands on hearts. And that, here's the deal. Are you aware they are not rejecting you? This is the number one thing that people say when they talk about why they don't want to talk about their faith. You go, I don't want to talk about my faith because I don't want to be rejected. Listen, if there's anything this parable tells us is they're not rejecting us anyhow. There's something going on in their heart that makes it so that they can't receive it or they're rejecting or Satan is robbing, but it has nothing to do with you or I. What we are supposed to be responsible to do is throw seed constantly, right? It doesn't say, hey, try to figure out the heart and then decide whether or not to throw seed, Right? It just says, you throw seed. You, you speak truth. You declare the word of God. What happens in their heart is between them and God. But you have to recognize, hey, some are just going to reject it. And that's just the nature of, of where their heart is currently at. Second group of people, uh, let's look at them in verses 16 through 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and once they receive it with joy. Yay! Right? It sounds good. But, no, since they have no root, it only lasts for a very short period of time. And here's what quickly reveals that there was no root to it. It's this. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, not just trouble or persecution come in general, it's trouble and persecution come because of the truth of God's word. They quickly fall away. Now, here's the question. Why does, what does, or why does persecution come because of the word? Here's why. Because are you aware that the gospel is actually, um, 
It brings, it almost beckons conflict because it's pushing back against the work of the enemy. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, the message of the cross is foolishness. Say foolishness. foolishness. Doesn't it just make you feel good inside to know that what you're anchored to seems completely foolish to a lot of people? But he tells us that. He says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Meaning to those who are rejecting the gospel, it will seem, seem utterly foolish. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How is it possible that we can view it as it, it is like it is everything? Well, it's because I've experienced freedom from addiction. I've experienced broken relationships healed. I've seen physical healing manifested. I've experienced my life where I was caught in a cycle of fear. Now I walk in confidence. That is why I see it as it's the power of God and it's all anchored in the cross. And yet to the world, they're like, That's, you're just ridiculous. If you think to yourself... Like, listen, if I embrace the cross, it's going to be embraced by everyone. You've misunderstood. The cross is actually foolishness, and it will seem that way to other people. Some, some people I know, when they've given their life to Christ, they said, I was rejected by my family immediately. Some of my family just said, I want nothing to do with you if you're going to be a Christian. Others will say, hey, as soon as I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden now I'm at conflict with those at work because we've always kind of bent the rules a little bit or just kind of lied a little bit about this one thing. And now all of a sudden I'm walking as a person of integrity. And how do I walk as a person of integrity uh, and as a Christ follower in this environment? And guess what? As I'm pushing back against kind of the norms of the workplace, now I'm causing conflict. Why? Because the gospel is not always easy to everyone else. It sometimes will seem foolish. Maybe it's the friends who reject you and say, hey, we can't hang out because of how you're following Christ now. It's not always that easy. I picture it like this. I've got a, one of my daughters. So my family, you just need to know this as a whole. We like to do um, athletic things, but we're not really athletes, if that makes sense. We're we don't do team sports. Maybe we'll say it that way. We like to downhill ski and snowboard, and we like to water ski, and we like playing hard, but we don't do a whole lot of team sports. So I laughed when one of my daughters came home to me and said, Dad, I'm going to be playing sports ball. I said, oh, yeah? What is sports ball? She goes, you know, with the bat and the glove. I said, oh, you mean softball? She goes, Yeah softball. I go, okay. She goes, sports ball. Great. Oh, man. So I was like, that's awesome. So she goes on out for her first practice. And when she comes home from her practice, I said, how was your first practice? She's like, it was hard. I was like, what, what do you mean? She's like, you'll never believe it. We just ran the whole time. I was like, I know. She's like, I, I go, what did you think you were going to be doing? She's like, playing catch, hitting the ball, putting on her jerseys. I'm an athlete. <laughs> I was like, that's not what it is. You don't just play catch, hit the ball, put on a jersey, and call yourself an athlete. Like, it is hard at times, right? Any of you guys been watching the Olympics? I, I love the Olympics. I love watching the backstories on some of these athletes. And, and all the backstories of the athletes are pretty much the same. It's how they, they just work this grueling schedule just they're trying to master their craft to get them to, right, the Olympic stage. There is not a, sim a single uh, Olympic athlete who says, I moderately try. They, nobody. 
right? Nobody's saying that. It's difficult. They push themselves hard so they can master their craft so that they can make it to compete at the Olympic level. And, uh, and here's the same thing in terms of our faith. If you thought that it was all just going to be rainbows and butterflies, you missed it. It's not. You're actually going to sometimes experience opposition and struggle, and that's actually a part of the journey. In fact, Jesus describes it this way. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he, he says this to his disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that in you may, you may have peace. Okay, so you can have peace. Why, why, do I, why am I going to need peace? Here's why. Because in the world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. I don't like that promise. That's a part of the promise. But take heart, I've overcome this world. So, so he goes, listen, I want you to be able to carry peace. You're going to need it because following me is not always easy. In fact, one of the promises I can give you is that you will always have trouble. You're always going to have trouble. But you can approach it differently than the rest of the world. You can approach it with peace because you know the one who is with you and the one who has gotten a victory all the way through the struggle that you're, that you're facing. Are you getting this? So, so this, is, this is huge, but this person that he's describing here is, uh, in the parable, is this is the person who sees the gospel as a means to a trial-free life. And it's not that. It's not a trial-free life. And if you thought that the gospel meant that every trouble would go away, you missed it. It, It's it's actually that he's provided a way for us to have victory through all the trials and struggles that we will face. And he'll be with us through it. Third person that he's described here in Mark chapter 4 says this, Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the, listen to this, the desires for other things. Everyone say other things. The desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I picture this, this is the person who wants to treat the gospel like an add-on. I don't know if you have like any uh, like streaming services, if you have like Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Maybe if you've got Hulu, maybe you've got like the base package. And then if you go into subscriptions, I don't know if you're aware, but you'll have all these add-ons where you can like, I can add on ESPN. I can add on Disney. I can add on HBO Max. I can add on all these different add-ons. And in many ways, this is the person who says, I've already built a beautiful portfolio of things that I like to do in my life. Ooh, Jesus, add on. Let's add him. It's the person who says, look look at all the things I've I've got. Maybe a marriage. I've got kids. I like that. I'm involved in sports. That's a good add-on. I got a recent promotion. Good add-on. Ooh, Jesus, couldn't hurt. Add on. And he goes, no, 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 no. Jesus is not an an add-on. Because as he describes here, this is the person who has so many things that surround their life, all the other things, the desires for other things that choke out the word. The word of God and the cross is not an add-on. It is the one thing that redefines and transforms all other things in your life. Not an add-on to it. Now, I just want to make a side note here, and it's, it's just interesting that both in the parable and in Christ's explanation, he doesn't say that this is not a plant. Me- meaning, in the illustration, 
The plant is a Christ follower or so-called Christian. What he does say is it doesn't produce fruit. Check it out. In verse 7, it says it grew, the, the thorns grew up and choked the plant so it did not bear grain. Verse 19, as Jesus is explaining it, he says this is the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. It comes in, it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. So really, we can't definitively say that this is a non-believer. Instead, I, I believe that this is the non-fruitful believer. This is the person who's not producing anything because the word of God is being choked out from producing any fruit in your life because you've added on. You treat everything, you go, hey, I want, I'm actually distracted by all the many things, all the other things, wealth and other things. And those things, uh, they have the desires of my heart and thus I'm not producing any fruit. I think this is actually could be the majority of the American church. Christ followers so surrounded with the things of this world that it chokes out the word of God from producing the fruit of 30, 60, 100 times. Final group. Check them out in verse uh, 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil. Here's the word, accepts it. This is key. Hear the word, accept it. <laughs> James describes it this way. Be not hearers of the word, or uh, be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. Have you ever read a verse, you're like, that's a really good verse, and never applied it? <laughs> yeah, like hundreds of times, right? We've read things, and we're like, hey, that's true. I should probably apply that. We hear it. We accept it, meaning we apply it. Then it will produce a crop some 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. What most of us want is we want a fruitful, fruitful life, Right? No, just me? No, I think you do too, right? We want a fruitful life. So if there's anything we could learn from the parable here, it would be, listen, let's not approach the gospel like it is a magic pill that keeps us from all trials because he says that's not it. Let's not approach the word of God and approach the gospel like it's an add-on to our value systems and our priorities because it's not. Let's approach the word of God and we accept it. We say, all right, God, what your word says, and it transforms all of who we are. I don't know which scenario. Maybe you have a tendency to go, I, I relate to that. I think I might fall into that category. Um, but I, if I could challenge you, what would it look like for, what would, what would happen? Hold on, hold on. What would happen if every person here produced 30, 60, 100 times. Man, this, this county would be transformed overnight. You watching online, what would happen if, if you produced 30, 60, 100 times? Man, I'm telling you that that has impact. So it is such a profound impact. So, so how do we get there? It was funny, I was on a Zoom call with uh, hun hundreds of pastors, probably 150 of us, uh, last month. And this pastor from Uganda was sharing um, with, with us pastors. And I love listening to pastors in other countries because they carry a different perspective. They, they just, they see things different, they're experiencing things different. And uh, this guy, 
it, the church in Uganda, God is doing amazing things right now in Uganda. And this guy's church is just exploding. In fact, many churches in Uganda are just exploding right now. And um, this guy, his church had led a thousand people to the Lord last month. And when they're asking him, the, the guys were saying, what are you doing as you're raising up these new followers of Christ? Like what is making this unique, this move of God? And he said this, he said, because from day one, we're setting the expectation of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we're making it very clear. And, and here's his phrase. He goes, this is the phrase we're using all the time. I don't know if it translates correctly, like into English, but he said, it's, it's this, following hard. That's what we say to everyone. Listen, this, this journey of following Jesus, it's following hard. And what he means by, this, by, by that is this. Listen, it's sometimes difficult. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, this world. It is sometimes difficult. And then also, we've, we follow hard after Christ, meaning we do it with tenacity and intensity. We don't do it apathetically. We don't do it just kind of mildly. We are all in, and we make that clear from day one. This is going to be a difficult journey, and we're all in. There's no middle ground. There's no, and that, I believe, is why they're producing 30, 60, 100-fold in the church in Uganda. And thousands are coming to Christ by the month because there's only one version of how people are following Jesus. They're, they're not trying to say, oh, I follow Jesus because all my troubles go away. No. He goes, we, we follow Christ because we know we're going to face troubles tomorrow. We just now have a whole different approach. Christ is going to give us a victory through that, tr that trial that we go through. We don't, we don't try to add him to my priorities or my value systems. We let him redefine everything about our values and our, and our priorities. We, we accept the word holy and we expect that we're going to, it's following hard. It's difficult and it's with intensity and tenacity. How about us? Anyone want that? If I were to say how many of you want the 30, 60, 100 full, every hand would go up. So that is then what you want. It's following Jesus hard. Why don't you stand? We'll close here in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Fathers, we just come before you right now just to close this moment and seal this moment. I imagine there could actually be some in this room, maybe some watching online, who when I ask that question of, are you even a follower of Christ? They might say, no. Or up till now, no. It would be a miss to not provide an opportunity. And so Lord, if there's any right now who want to surrender their lives to you, Lord, if, if, if you feel like the Lord is stirring in your heart to do so, it can be through a simple prayer like this. It's between you and him. You just pray along with me, but you surrender your life to him. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from a holy God, but I thank you so much that you sent your son to lay down his life for me at the cross. I ask that you would put your Holy Spirit in me. I accept the gospel and you as my Lord and Savior not thinking that all my troubles will go away, nor trying to add you on to my existing value system. But Lord, I want you to transform all of who I am. And as we continue praying, Lord, may this be true of us. That we would be the people who produce 30, 
that you produce really 30, 60, 100 times. You produce it in us as we go all in, as we accept the word of God fully and wholly and that we follow hard, recognizing sometimes it will be difficult, but we do it with intensity, we do it with tenacity, we do it knowing that this is the life that produces the 30, 60, 100 times fruit. And we want to see that in us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, if you need prayer, any sort, we got prayer partners back here. We got prayer partners online. Just drop the word prayer in the chat. Simple ways to give. You can give in boxes as you leave here. There are ways to give online as well. Thank you for your generosity, and we'll see you guys. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.